Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. I was about five years old uh, when my parents moved into, when my family moved into the house that my parents still live in uh, to this day. And at that point in my life, I had, and I still have now, a pretty bad habit of always wanting to lean back in a, any kind of chair that I'm sitting in. And so uh, the dining room in my parents' house has a, has a big window looking out over the front yard. And I can remember at some point in the process of, of moving into the new house and everything with that, one of my parents saying something to me to the effect of, you know, you're going to have to break this habit of leaning back in chairs because once we move into the new house, when we're sitting at the dining room table, if you're leaning back, you're going to fall backwards. You're going to go out the window straight out into the yard. And in all the wisdom of a five-year-old, I immediately worked around that problem. I said, well, no, I'll just sit on the other side of the table. That way, if, I fall, if and when I fall backwards, I fall backward into the floor instead of out into the yard. That's better than breaking any kind of bad habit. And so that became my spot at mom and dad's dining room table, and it still is to this day. That was over 20 years ago, and even now, if I'm eating a meal in my parents' home, there's a, probably at least a 95% chance that I will be eating it at that spot at the table. And my sister has a spot at, at that table as well. Uh, around Christmas last year, we were going to be uh, having a meal where all five members of our family were there, me, my parents, my sister, and her husband. And my mom was setting the table for dinner that night. There are six seats at the table. My mom put out five places, and the one seat where she didn't put out a plate was my sister's normal spot. And I said to my mom, what are you, what are you doing? You're not, you're not letting Emily sit at her place in the table? And my mom gave me a lecture, not a lecture. She said, well, you know, she's going to want to sit by her husband, don't you think? She's going to want to sit over in this place. She's not going to want to sit where she normally sits. And I was like, okay, whatever. And it wasn't too long later after that, my sister comes in the dining room, she takes one look at the table, and she says, how come there's not a place at my spot? I don't get many instances where I'm right and my mom's wrong, so I just have to celebrate those victories every time, every time they come, because that was one instance of that happening. Because when you have a place at someone's table, there's acceptance. There's familiarity. There's something powerful about sitting down at someone's table, sitting down for a meal with someone that goes far beyond just that time spent together. It's at tables where relationships are formed for the first time or strengthened. It's a chance to be able to extend relationship to someone else in the same way that our God extends relationship to us through His Son. And in biblical times, in the ancient world especially, sharing a meal with someone was a big deal. It was a statement that you belonged to the same community. It, it was a statement that they accepted you as their own, that you had a place in their lives. And you could even imagine how uh, huge of an honor it would be to be invited to sit at the king's table, to be invited in to be a part of the royal family, to be able to sit down in an intimate setting and have the king's ear for whatever it might be, and all the benefits that comes with 
that status. And as we come to the end of Psalm 23, that's the sort of portrait being painted for us. That's the scene being described of someone having the opportunity to come and sit at the king's table. We've come to the end of this series where we've been making our way through Psalm 23. And the reason why I'm able to say with confidence that there is power that comes with sitting down at a table with someone is because we see that across all of Scripture. We see it in the ministry of Jesus especially. But we see it here in these last couple verses of Psalm 23 as David says that the Lord, his shepherd, invites him to sit down at the table that he's prepared. And so like we've done every week of this series, let's take some time to, to read Psalm 23 together, if you will follow along with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 ends with a celebration that the shepherd invites us to sit down at his table. Through all the highs and the lows of this psalm, the comfort that comes with the knowledge that the Lord is our shepherd, and because of that we lack nothing, because he's our shepherd, he makes us lie down in green pastures, he leads us beside still waters, he refreshes our soul, he guides us along right paths for his name's sake. We don't need to fear any evil because he is with us. That comes to the culmination in verse 5 where King David says, the Lord prepares a table for him in the presence of his enemies. The invitation to come and sit at the table of the good shepherd comes with a full awareness of the realities of the darker side of life. We saw last week even, that even when we walk through the darkest valley, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not fear any evil because our shepherd is with us. And that same logic carries over into these last two verses. Psalm 23 does not shy away from the darkness. Psalm 23 says that even in the face of the darkest day imaginable, our shepherd is still good to us. Which is a truth we need to hold on to, no matter how old we might be. I'm convinced we never really fully outgrow our fear of the darkness. When I was a kid, I had a, had a beagle dog, and my parents had a pen for my beagle outside of their yard, out in the pasture right next to the house. And so most nights when I was a kid, before I could go to bed, I had to take the dog down and, and put her in the pen for the night. And I can remember getting her in the pen, putting the latch down on the gate, and sprinting as fast as I could across the pasture, through the fence, back up the hill, back into the house as quick as I could, because no one likes being alone 
in the darkness. And we outgrow that sort of fear eventually, I think, the older we get, but we still experience fear. And that fear might express itself in all sorts of ways, but it shows up still. It shows up in different emotions that we might not call fear on the surface, but if we're honest, they're they're warning lights on our spiritual dashboard alerting us that something's wrong. It, It might show up with apathy of just wanting to give up and not continue. It might show up with anxiety about the state of our own life, the state of those around us, the state of our world. It might show up with anger. I think we can all agree we've seen plenty of anger in the last year. And all of those issues, I think, can be traced back in some way or another or another to a fear of the darkness, a fear of the unknown. Maybe we feel overwhelmed. We just don't know what to do, what the next step is, so we just shut down. We just withdraw completely because we can't take it. Maybe it's constant stress and anxiety that keeps us up at night worrying about how we are going to get through whatever it is that we are going through. Maybe it's anger. We feel like things are just spinning out of control and there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do to fix it, so we just get angry. We just rage against whatever it is because of fear. Fear because the darkness seems to always be looking for a way to creep into our day. Which is why we need the end of Psalm 23. The last two verses of Psalm 23 tell us the answer to our fear is to sit at the shepherd's table. The end of Psalm 23 does not guarantee us that all of our problems will go away as soon as we sit down at this table, but it also doesn't tell us that we have to deal with all of our problems on our own before we are allowed to come and sit here. The ending of this psalm simply tells us that there is room at the table for us. And when we come to sit with our shepherd, we experience his blessing. And when we come to sit at the shepherd's table, we are promised that we will be delivered from our enemies. The language there at the beginning of verse 5, of a, David says, a table, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That might sound kind of strange to us. It might almost sound like David is saying that there's a battle going on and he's out there fighting on the front lines and right in the midst of it all, God's sitting out there with a, with a table setting out placemats for everyone and everything like that. That's, that's not what, what David's saying in that verse. The scene David's describing is the scene of a celebration after a victorious battle. In the ancient world, after you have, have, have defeated an enemy, if you can, you want to capture the leader of the enemy army. And just as a way to twist the knife to further emphasize the point that you have been victorious, you, you force the leader of the enemy army to partake in the celebration of their complete defeat, just to fully demonstrate that you have conquered over them. And that's what David is describing there in verse 5. The Lord has brought victory, and David is celebrating that victory in the face of those enemies that have been defeated. When you sit down at the table of the shepherd, it brings with it an assurance of victory. We might not have the same enemies of King David. We might not have foreign armies invading our territory. We might not have enemies within the palace uh, angling to try to get us out of power so that they can take the throne, but, but we have far greater enemies. Enemies named sin and death. 
We're powerless against those enemies on our own. We are trapped under their oppressive reign. But our King has come and has set us free for all time. Jesus came and He died in our place. He took the punishment our sins deserved. He passed into death when we were the ones who deserved to die. And He resurrected to new life three days later so that we too might have the hope of resurrection. Because of that hope that we have, because of what Christ has accomplished for us, we can sit down at the table of victory with with our good shepherd. Even in the presence of enemies, we sit down with full knowledge that they do not have power over us any longer because of what our shepherd has done on our behalf. And the confidence that makes it possible for us to make this proclamation only comes through the proclamation at the beginning of this psalm that we've repeated time and time again, that the Lord is my shepherd. And that's an important thing to emphasize. Because we can try to find all sorts of other things that we might want to be our shepherd. At different points in our life, we might say that how much we have in the bank is our shepherd, and there's never quite enough of it in there. And for that reason, we... We experience constant restlessness and anxiety, fear of what might happen in our accounts or in the economy because peace and security would just come if we had a little more. It's just a little more is never quite as much as we would like. We might say our preferred side of the political aisle is our shepherd. As long as my side has the majority in Congress or has the White House, then everything's going to be fine and I'll feel safe. I'll feel safe at least until the next election cycle begins. And then I start in with fear and anxiety all over again because if, if my side doesn't win again, then it all comes crashing down. We might say our career is our shepherd. We've worked hard to climb the ladder. We've earned the admiration of those around us. But deep down inside, it is just an endless cycle that never goes anywhere. No matter how well things might be in the moment, there's always another project. There's always another Monday after Sunday where we just have all these new tasks. We have to prove ourselves all over again. We might say our spouse, our significant other, is our shepherd. As long as we have them and they don't fail us, as long as they're everything we need, then everything's going to be fine until we realize that that other person is a sinner just like we are. We can make our reputation our shepherd. We can think as long as I'm well thought of, as long as I'm admired, then I have everything that I need. But that means that we have to constantly keep up appearances. We can never let our guard down. We can never let anyone in because if we let them in, then they wouldn't be impressed with us anymore. We can make our kids our shepherd. We can think that as long as they're successful, as long as they're doing well in school and they find a good spouse, they settle down with a good job in the right part of town, then we will feel justified until we realize that kids can never carry that sort of weight and that source of meat for, to be that source of meaning and significance. We might reject all that. Say, I figured it out. You can't trust in anyone. You can't trust in anything to be your shepherd. You just have to take care of yourself. You have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You have to be your own shepherd. And that might work out as long as things are going well. But sooner or later, things will not be going well. And we won't quite be able to measure up to the standards we set for ourselves. And we can think we could just get there if we tried a little harder or did a little more, but it will never quite be enough. All those things might be all right for a time. None of those things are evil in themselves but they're not good shepherds. 
They're not able to do anything about those pesky little enemies of sin and death. No matter how successful or well thought of or respected we might be, none of those things will, are able to fully deal with the fact that we are still sinful people and we will all eventually die. And all those other things we might put in our trust in, they might invite us to come and sit at their table for a time and the meal might not be half bad. But none of those things will ever be able to assure us that the meal we sit down at is one of victory, one where the enemies of sin and death have to sit there powerless as we enjoy the good things our good shepherd gives to us. That's why we proclaim and we have to proclaim that the Lord and the Lord alone is my shepherd. When we make that proclamation, when we come and sit at the Lord's table, we find blessing. Not blessing like we normally think of in terms that it has to be material, it has to be a thing or, or, uh, or money or something like that, but blessing that comes from the fact that the king of the universe invites us to come and sit at his table, invites us to come and be a part of the royal household. That's demonstrated through the last couple lines of verse 5 where King David says that God anoints his head with oil. He says, my cup overflows. Anointing someone with oil was something you reserve for prominent guests because it's a, it's a valuable resource. You don't just want to waste it on anyone, and it's a cleansing thing for them. It, it fills the room with, with, a, with a fragrance. You don't just pour that out on anyone, but it's something you reserve for the best of the best when you have guests coming to sit at your table. And David says, his cup overflows which to us probably just sounds like a waste. But in the ancient world, it is a statement that the host is enjoying your presence and wants you to stay. A few years ago, I was having lunch with some friends of mine, and we hadn't seen each other in quite a while. And so uh, we sit down to eat. We're catching up on what's gone on in the last few months. We have our meal, and it's great. We're enjoying the time, and the, the check comes, and we pay, and we're still sitting there enjoying the time together. And before too long, our waiter comes up to us, and he says, Yeah, we need the table, so you need to leave. We had already paid. He didn't have to be nice to us anymore. But that's a little bit like what David's getting at here when he says that his cup overflows. That's what David is getting at. In the ancient world, if you are at a banquet and your cup is allowed to go empty, that's a sign that it's time for you to leave. If the host stops refilling, refilling your cup, it means that they, they've had their fill. It's time for you to get out. But if they keep filling your cup, that means they want you to stay. They enjoy your presence. So if you can imagine in that context, if the host of a banquet keeps filling your cup over and over and over to the point where your cup is overflowing and it's spilling out all over the table, that is a good indication that the host of the banquet, the person who has invited you to their table, wants you to stay. And our God... Our good shepherd invites us into his presence because he desires us. God does not need you. He wants you. And the difference, there's a difference between those two statements, and I think that difference is significant. God doesn't invite us to the table because he needs us to do some of the serving. He needs us to clean up afterwards. He needs us to bring a side dish. He, that's not why he invites us to the table. He invites us because of what he has done for us in Christ. He anoints our head with oil. He fills our cup to the point of overflowing because he loves us. That is the promise that comes with the invitation to sit at the shepherd's table. 
And that invitation is not a one-time thing. It gives us hope for the future. If you notice there in verse 6, David says, Surely your love and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. And that verb that's translated, will follow me, it's what's called an imperfect verb, meaning it's describing an action that has not yet been completed, and I think that matters. I don't just highlight that to prove that I actually spent some time studying this text this week. I'm not just making it up up here. But I think it's worth highlighting because David is not saying he's made it to the end and, yeah, things were difficult, but now I've made it to the end and everything's resolved. He's saying that even though I haven't made it to the end yet, I know that God is with me. And that's the hope we proclaim when we accept the invitation to come and sit at the shepherd's table. Even when the test comes back positive, even when we're told that we're being let go, even when we are watching a loved one deteriorate before our eyes, even when we don't know where the next meal is going to come from, even when we or someone we love makes a mess of, their, of our lives, we can say that our God is with us and His goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives because the Good Shepherd does not abandon those who come and sit at His table. Wherever we go, the presence of our Good Shepherd means we can be confident that His goodness and mercy goes with us. And those two terms translated there as goodness and mercy are really rich terms that are used all over the place in the Old Testament. So it's worth spending a little bit of time camping out on what David is actually saying. That word translated goodness there is the Hebrew word tov. Everyone say tov. I don't get too excited. But it's the word that shows up seven different times in Genesis chapter 1 as God is creating the heavens and the earth. Seven different times God looks at something he has made and he calls it good. He calls it tov. And a lot of times in our everyday language, or at least speaking for me, when I say something's good, what I mean by that is it wasn't the most incredible thing I've ever seen, but at the same time it wasn't awful, so eh, it was good. And that's not what the Bible is getting at when it proclaims something good, when it uses that word tov. It's a word for prosperity. It's a word for blessing. It's a, it's, and that's what we mean when we say that God is good to us. Not just that He isn't bad, but that He desires blessing for us. He desires good things for us as we walk in relationship with him. And that's what David's getting at in verse 6. Life might not always be perfect. Things might not always work out exactly how we want them to, but when we are walking in relationship with our good shepherd, we can be confident that life is good because we have a shepherd who is good to us. It's also his mercy that goes with us. That Hebrew word translated mercy there is the Hebrew word chesed. Everyone say chesed. Wow, that was even worse. Okay. I guess I'll never do that again. But that Hebrew word, chesed, it gets translated all sorts of ways in our Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated as loving kindness. Sometimes it's love or mercy or, or steadfast love, something like that. Faithfulness, covenantal faithfulness, something like that. It's the word God uses in Exodus 34, 6. As he's summarizing who he is to Moses as a part of giving the Ten Commandments to his people, God says he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in mercy, in chesed, and that he's faithful. It's a word that describes how God deals with his people. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not flick us off into orbit the first time we step out of line. He is merciful to us, he's kind to us, he's loving, he's faithful. Even when we are not faithful to him, not because of anything great in ourselves, 
but because of his own perfect character and goodness to his people. And that is what David counts on as he reflects on how God is his shepherd. God's character is constant. He is not good to us now, but maybe that'll change at some point down the road. He's good, he's merciful, he's faithful, and as his people, we can trust in him, knowing that as we go forward, no matter where we might go, the God who invites us to sit at his table is the God who goes with us. And that is not just for this life, it is also for the life to come. David has complete confidence that the same God who has been his shepherd his entire earthly life will be his shepherd in the life to come. And that is our hope and our promise as well. The message of Jesus is not some positive thinking to get us through the day. It's not some hope for way off in the future that doesn't have any relevance for right now. It's life in the present, and it's promise for the life to come. We walk with our good shepherd in this life, confident he will never leave us or forsake us, and we can look forward to that future day when we will dwell with him fully in the life to come. That is the promise of having a shepherd who is good and who is merciful to us and who invites us to come and sit at his table. No matter who you are, no matter where you might be this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, there's room for you at this table. Because of what Jesus has done for us, he invites us to come and to sit to enjoy his presence, to enjoy his blessing, to walk in life with him now and into the life to come. Most of the time, I try to avoid making statements that, you know, a certain book of the Bible or a certain passage in Scripture is my favorite or anything like that. It just feels, you know, kind of like, like you don't have to choose favorite, so I don't want to. But I think one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Scripture comes in one of Jesus' parables he tells in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is at this banquet with religious leaders, and they all think they've got everything figured out, but the fact that they do not believe in Jesus is an indication that they have rejected God and rejected God's purposes in the world. And so to expose that, Jesus tells this parable about a master who throws a banquet. And this, the master invites all these people, and they say they're going to come, but when the time of the banquet actually comes, they come up with all sorts of excuses for why they can't make it. They don't want to come to the master's table. And so, because the people who were invited refused to come, uh, the, man, the master of the banquet, he sends his servants out to anyone and everyone who is willing to come. He says in Luke 14, 21, the master of the banquet says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. He says, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And in verse 22, the, the master's servant responds. He says, sir, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. There is still room. Jesus tells this story to a bunch of religious leaders who think they have everything figured out, and Jesus shows them that they were the ones who had been invited to the party. And by their rejection of Jesus, they've rejected that invitation. And because they've rejected Jesus, he's gone out to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, those out in the streets and the alleys, people like us, and he's invited us in to come and be a part of his great 
banquet and the proclamation in Luke 14, 22 is the proclamation that rings down throughout history, even down into today. There is still room. There is still room today. The good shepherd has room at his table for you. If you've never been a follower of Jesus, there is room for you to come today and sit at his table. If it's been a long time since you've been home for a meal, the good shepherd is waiting for you. Invites you to come and sit and experience his presence and the blessing that comes with being his child. God invites us all to come and sit at his table, experience the blessing of being a part of the royal household, to be anointed with oil as an honored guest, to have a cup that is overflowing, to experience the joy that comes from dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So come and sit at the table. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the invitation that you are good to us and that you invite us to come to your table. We're grateful that you did not abandon us in our sin, but you invited us in so that we might be redeemed, so that we might experience your presence and your blessing. We're grateful that you meet us and you invite us in. So give us faith to respond. For those of us who have never sat down at your table, meet us where we are so that we can come and dwell with you. For those of us who have wandered away, invite us to come and experience your presence. May we all, no matter where we are, Experience your peace, your presence, your encouragement that comes from knowing that you rule over all things. You're perfect in every way. And yet you invite us to come and sit at your table. And it's because of Jesus and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 